This week, we've got a replay for you while your host, Mike Wood, is enjoying some quality time with a brand new, very small human named Callie. He'll be back next week with a new episode. And for now, please enjoy this popular one from the archives. A Humans Behind Work Human episode with Lori Deliviera. Enjoy. Work is no longer just about productivity and metrics. It's about people. And when we focus on positivity, communication, belonging, and development, the numbers take care of themselves. This is Work Human Radio, where we talk to authors, researchers, and business leaders about the latest trends making work more human around the world. Here's your host, Mike Wood. Welcome to a very zen episode of Work Human Radio. I'm your host, Mike Wood. And for 2019, we thought we'd do something different each month and highlight a specific human and learn kind of their story. Because I find some of the people that I work with very interesting. And I have someone that is joining us today that is our Global Force Cultural Energizer, but an all-around wonderful person, Lori Deliviera. Hi. Did I screw up your name again? Yeah, okay. okay. So every time I screw up your name. But you don't hold that against me, right? I don't. It's not an easy name. It's not. So. <laughs> it, it should be an easy name. It's just a D, an apostrophe, and then Oliveira, right? De Oliveira. Oh, I was way off. Again. Again. Well, that's okay. My I name, still love you. Well, my name is Mike Wood. And so you feel free to mispronounce that. Call you Donald. Donald? <laughs> don't call me Donald. Of all the names that you could call me, just don't call me just Donald. Just popped into my head. I'm so sorry. So... <laughs> So today we're going to get to know Lori. We're going to have some laughs and some fun. So Lori, can you just kind of tell us about yourself and, you know, who you are and where are you from? Let's start at the beginning. What's your origin story? Oh, that's deep. I like starting there. (laughs) So I grew up in Central Mass, one of seven children. Seven. I am smack dab in the middle. Good. So yeah, very diverse family background. My father is... African-American and American Indian. Oh, cool. And my mom was Irish and English. Well, you are the melting pot. I am the melting pot. I have a little bit of everything. So, <laughs> But it, may, it makes it made for a fun, a fun journey, I shall say. Yeah. So seven brothers and sisters. Yes. What, what's the breakdown? So there are two boys and five girls. Jeez. Yes. So the boys didn't say a lot. No. They just sat in the corner. Now, were the boys, when you got to high school age, were the boys constantly fending away potential suitors? And- no. So the dynamic in the family is I come from a family of very strong women. Good. And my two brothers were more quiet, should I say, you know, more into what they were doing. And the woman ran the world, as they should. <laughs> Just saying. I've been married for almost five years, and I do know that there are some arguments that are not worth having. Uh, just say yes. Yeah, just yes. say yes. How, how uh, can I help you with that? Because I don't have four hours to talk about a specific <laughs> why the dishes aren't getting done or, you know, there's things to drop. You know what? How about you just do the honeydew list and then there's not a problem. Just take the list, do the honeydew list. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah, there's been some things that have been etched in stone in that list for the past couple of years. I'm sure. And I'm sure. And I'm pretty sure that you just look at the list and ignore it. I do for the most part, unless Mm -hmm. I know that it's on her mind. Yeah. 
So I try to distract her. Don't do Much that. Much like you would try to distract like a bear. Yeah, if, like, you can't a bear do it. Was coming we don't distract. You. We don't distract like that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So when you were younger, what did you want to be when you grew up? I initially wanted to be a lawyer. A lawyer? Yes. Really? Why? <laughs> Why did you want to be a lawyer? I wanted to be a lawyer because I always felt that they helped people, people who needed assistance somehow. Not in the criminal, like, you know, okay. I mean, but I always felt like there was injustices okay. in the world that I could help fix for people. So you wanted to be the lawyers like in Aaron Brockovich who were going up against the evil corporation. Exactly. Like in, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird. I'm Not gonna, the I'm lawyers be- <laughs> that are uh, defending terrorists. Not those lawyers. No, I didn't want to be those lawyers. No. Or the ones on TV chasing ambulances. No. Absolutely not. And I do like a good argument. So I think that may have been part of what was appealing to me. <laughs> Even as a little kid? you Even to... as a little kid. That's strange. Yeah. But it's I, interesting. It is interesting because I feel like I, out of all of my brothers and sisters, I was the one that was always taking care of everybody. It's mm-hmm. always been, you know, my first instinct is I need to help them with that. I need to help them fix this. I need to take care of everyone. And it's kind of carried through my entire life. Yeah. And you probably had a lot of arguments at the house with seven kids. Yes, so, we did. There were a uh, lot of arguments. Yeah. Usually if you're the loudest, you're, you're the winner. Hello. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is how it's going to be done. So you, you wanted to be a lawyer and then you went away from that. Yes. Did you go to college? Did yes. You, where'd you go to college? Fitchburg State. Fitchburg State. Yes. Beautiful Fitchburg State. University now. Oh, it's a university. Now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So what was your degree? Psychology. Ooh. Mm-hmm. All right. So you want to be a lawyer, study some psychology. You're going to get into people's heads. Uh, yes. yes. Then what? It's really interesting. I ended up getting married. I had two little boys. Well, how, how'd you meet your husband? My first husband. So I've been married twice. Oh, Ooh, scandal. Scandal, right? <laughs> We're um, finding all sorts yes. of things. Oh my gosh. And actually, Laurie, he's right outside. <laughs> <laughs> no, my first husband I met when I was younger and we dated all through college. And then we got married and had two little boys. Um, but unfortunately, it didn't work out. You know, people, as you develop through your life, your opinions of things change, how you see the world changes. And now, what, what age were you when you got married? I was 25. Yeah. See, I have friends now then, and my brother-in-law got married when he was 20. And it just like, that gives me anxiety because I know that I've changed a lot as a person since I was 21. Yeah. It's Your true. views change everything and you need to find someone that you can change with. Right. Yeah. So Bingo. <laughs> so that didn't work. So um, <laughs> we, we decided to move on, which was fine. So I was a single mom oh, wow. for a while. Very difficult. I give single moms kudos every single day. It was, you know, you get up in the morning and it was like, okay, this is what I need to do. There's no time to sit around and feel badly about yourself or, you know, poor me. No, you have two adorable small human beings who need you. And I have to say, I really did enjoy that time alone with my boys. I think we got to bond a lot during that time. Mm-hmm. Now, how did you navigate working and getting them to school and being home from school, like the logistics of everything? I was so fortunate that I had a mother who was a stay-at-home mom all during my lifetime. So when I had my children, she was able to do that for me. So my children have never had a babysitter outside of my family. That's great. Yeah, ever. 
which I look at people who have to put their children in daycare and I feel yeah. I feel pain. I'm You're like, looking at one of them. Right. I know. Which for our listeners out there, if you're a yeah. young couple in Massachusetts and you have a child, I was on the cheaper end of paying three twenty-five a week for my daughter to go to daycare. Now she's turning three next week and she's still two fifty a week. So I think I spent thirteen grand wow. for child care. I was able to give yeah. my mom a big hug and a kiss and say thank you. <laughs> Yeah. See, my my mom helped out my sister yeah. with with her first child seven years ago, and then was like, "Okay, that's it." And oh. I'm like, "All right." My mother I, couldn't get enough. I get it. She could not. My no. my mother was always about family, family, family. Well, my mom's almost seventy too. So, <laughs> so you have two boys. Tell us a little bit about them. Oh, my boys! So I've my, met one. You have. You've met I've Daniel. Met, I met Daniel yes. out in San Diego. In San Diego, yeah. Daniel was stationed out in San Diego for a couple of years in the U.S. Marines. And did his stint and then decided, okay, time to move on. He's come back to Massachusetts. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And he's presently a personal trainer. Oh, good. Yep. So he hopes to one day open a gym where he can help veterans. That's That's great. That's his goal right now. And our youngest son, Jordan, works with boys who are from difficult backgrounds. Great. Put it that way. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's really, really tough, tough job. These are kids that have seen things that no adults should see in their lives. So it's a hard job. Wow. Yeah. He's a teacher's assistant. And is he uh, pretty local? So, yeah. That's so, in Lancaster. Okay. Good. So you get to- <clears throat> RFK. That's good. You get to, yep. um, you get to see both of them now. And yeah. How'd you meet your second husband, Paul? <laughs> Tell us a little bit about Paul. Paul. Paul is probably the- kindest, most sincere human being I've ever met in my life. And I met him through work and we developed a friendship. We had both just gotten out of marriages. I was not looking for a relationship. I was actually dead set against it, but he kind of grew on me. And I always loved the fact that he did not shy away from taking on the responsibility of raising two boys that did not belong to him. He welcomed it. And I have to say the first meeting between my boys and Paul did not go as I would have liked. They were very cold. They were... How old were they? They were 10 and 9 at the time. So very protective of their mother, but have grown to love him and respect him and actually introduce him as their father. That's great. Yeah. I mean, he's done everything a father would do. He taught them how to drive. He taught them how to shave. He taught them how to tie a tie. I could not have asked for a better person to be my partner in life. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> and he loves everybody here at Global Force. Well, yeah, he, he, uh, we all we all love him. We see him. Um, I'm trying to remember the last time I saw him, but at the uh, holiday party. He was yeah, at the holiday party. I didn't. I couldn't go to the holiday. I can't find childcare. Oh, that's true. <laughs> so that's I couldn't true. go to the holiday mm-hmm. party. So how did you start working for Global Force? That's a really interesting question because I always say this was my job that was meant to be. I was working for an engineering firm in Marlboro and they were closing this branch. And I had talked to Paul and I said, you know what? I really want to take a couple of months off. It was the summer just to regroup and I'll start looking for a job in the fall. And he said, yeah, by all means. And I was helping. I had three admin assistants who reported to me and I was actually helping them look for jobs at the time. And I came across this listing for a payroll administrator. 
And I said, you know what? I've done payroll. I'm just going to throw this one resume. That was the only resume that I actually sent out. And I was in Atlanta, Georgia, helping the company, like move company records there. And I got a call from a recruiter about this position. And I did a phone interview with Chris O'Sullivan, our VP of finance. And when I came back, the recruiter called me again and said, they'd love for you to come in and do an interview. And I said, okay, sounds great. And I came in and I met Sarah Hamilton and Steve Cromwell and Lauren Zajac. And I talked to Chris again and I left the interview and I called my husband and he said, so how do you think it went? And I said, you know what? I think it went really well, but I have to say, I made the most unbelievable connection with Sarah Hamilton during the interview process. Okay. Explain a little bit about that. So how? You know, she started to ask me the usual interview. And Sarah Hamilton is our director of HR. She's our director of HR. She started to ask me the usual interview questions and it just became such a warm conversation as opposed to an interview. And I remember at one point we were literally laughing so hard about something that our kids had done and someone walked by the room and stuck their head in and said, I thought you guys were doing an interview. And I said, we are interviewing. And it was the best interview I've ever done. And they called me two days later. Good. And offered me the job. Sarah said she actually left her office. She walked me out and she ran into Chris's office and said, don't bother interviewing anybody else. We have who we need. All right. So uh, the next time I want to ask for a promotion or raise, just, just make go in there, Sarah laugh. Make Sarah okay. laugh. Write that down. Right. Right. Put that down in your notes. Sarah's yeah. Laugh. Yeah. And it was amazing. An amazing journey. So I came in as the payroll person. I did accounts yep. payable, accounts receivables. And my job just kind of evolved into an office manager. I started to know how the company functioned what was needed, where, who needed what. Sarah came to me one day and she said, you know, do you want to be our office manager? And I said, yes, I like being in control. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So it was just, and then once I really got to understand what we did here, it felt like home. It felt like, yes, I want to help people. That's who I am by nature. I just want to help people. And if it's just helping people do their job better, That's fabulous. But I think that I have become friends with so many people here. It's become a a mum role, as I like to say. You know, when people are having a bad day and they come to me and they'll say, can we go somewhere and talk? I think more of the fun aunt. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate not, not the that. mom because I think about my mother and and, yeah. <laughs> and I am the uh, fun aunt. Yes, but the I'm fun the, the, aunt, the crazy fun the aunt, mentor type of you know, if there's something going on in my life and I need to bitch about it to somebody, yeah. I can bitch about it to you. You can, and then I can help you put it in perspective. <laughs> yes. You know, we tend to have a lot of first world problems. Yeah, that we blow out of proportion. And, oh, the second coffee oh, machine my is gosh, out. Oh. All the things, the things. <laughs> So I think I've been able to, because of my, you know, what I've gone through in my life, my journey to look at people and just say, you know, I understand that you may at this particular moment in time think that this is something that's going to break you, but I promise you that it won't break you. It'll make you. It won't break you. Yeah. I mean, it will sound that I'm trying to promote the company, but I haven't seen a bigger heart at organizations that I've been at in the past than from being here. Like people genuinely care. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
And it's not like, oh, I kind of care that you're going through something, but I really need you to do this report or whatever. It's like, no, you have something that's going on. What can we do to support you and get you back to where you need to be? As it should be. Just human to human. Correct. So my wife's father has MS. He's in a nursing home 24-7. He's currently in the hospital right now, which Mm -hmm. is... When you have MS and you have a trip to the ER or something, it's usually for some sort of infection. So he's been in with pneumonia. He's been in with UTIs and stuff. So this time he's got a UTI. He's actually gone septic. Mm. So it's it's a tough time because right. we're thinking, you know, is this it type of thing? And I was talking to her this morning about work and she's trying to juggle work. And I'm like, you know what? Your boss is not going to come down on you for having your dad in the hospital and taking some time to make sure that he's okay. Like it doesn't matter in the long run. And if it did matter, that's not the type of person you want to work for. Absolutely. Absolutely. I will say he's stable and things look like they're getting up, but these things happen. They do happen. But unfortunately we still live in a world where bosses and managers and owners think that this is my eight hour time slot. And you need to give me your all during this eight hour time slot. I'm so fortunate and so happy that we have figured out that if we can help people in their outside lives, what they do during their time working for Global Force will be so much more productive. They can give us so much more of themselves if we can help them Mm -hmm. deal through life navigate through the doctor's appointments and the after school activities. It just makes sense to do that. And when I got here, I was like, do we seriously really do this? Somebody pinch (laughs) me. Right. Somebody pinch (laughs) me. But I talk about this company all the time to anyone who will listen. When people ask me, what do you do? And I said, Oh, pull up a chair. So happy to share. Yeah. It's amazing. Question for you. What would you say is your biggest accomplishment? My two children. Yeah. Yeah. That I have been able to create two people that love giving back, who understand that service to others is important within the human race, that we have to support each other. Both of my children have done trips to Haiti with my husband as service projects. And they're just kind, generous, funny. They're very funny. They have great senses of humor. But caring human beings who, when they see something that they believe is not right, are not afraid to fight for it. They're not going to run the other way. They're not going to see someone struggling and say, well, that's not my problem. It is your problem. It's all of our problems. Yep. Because in one way or another, that affects us. So you know, be and a, that could be, be you. A, right. God forbid, be a decent human being. When Daniel was in San Diego, there's a lot of homeless, yeah. as you notice, in San Diego. <laughs> yes. It's, yeah. um, it's, it's got to be the weather. There's an awful lot right. of homeless. I believe I saw someone, I mean, I'm pretty sheltered. I grew up in a middle class type of like suburb and <laughs> I actually saw someone shooting up um, on the streets of San Diego, like right out in the. Right. And, you you know, your first response is, okay, if I look away, then it's not there, but it is there. And so every time we'd go out to eat, Daniel would always order extra food. 
so that we could give it to somebody on the way home. I always saw him pulling out his wallet and just, you know, giving somebody $5. And those were the moments that just touched me so much. When my youngest son, Jordan, said to me, he was 17, mom, when can I go to Haiti with Paul? When can I go? I want to go to help. That was, okay, I've done an okay job. Good. Yeah. Even then, it's about how you've helped others. Right. Always about helping others. Someone needs to help you, but that didn't sound right. Are you telling me that I need help? Is that that your nice way of saying um, that? This isn't our uh, intervention. (laughs) It's not the intervention yet? (laughs) No. Oh, it's coming. I'm sure. That is next week. (laughs) Oh, I let the surprise out of the bag. Yeah. You're not supposed to tell me. Just supposed to pop it on me. So you've talked a lot about like what work is like at Global Force here. Like, What do you see work becoming kind of like even beyond these walls, like in the next couple of years? Like what would your ideal working environment be like five years from now? Because we're hearing AI is coming in, people are getting replaced by robots, but we're going to need some humanity, right? I think here at Global Force, we'll always have humans. There may be a lot of, you know. There won't be a robo DJ doing working radio. I hope not. (laughs) I hope not. You know, if we look at the work environment in general, we still need human interaction. The fact that people, you know, I'm never going to go to a store again. I can always buy online. It's like, that's great. But, you know, there's something to be said about walking down the street and making eye contact with someone that you don't know and smiling at them and watching them smile back. That's just kind of passing some love in a quick way. I see you. And I appreciate seeing you. And it always, it mystifies me how people will say, oh my gosh, I never make eye contact. Why? That's the best thing. And hugs, don't even get me started about hugs. I hug strangers all the time. Well, you could have a problem. <laughs> but, but it's a good problem okay, to it's have. A good hug. It's, it's a good hug. Yeah. A it's hug. a good, no, not a creepy hug. Always, you know, how's your day? Just how's it going? I mean, people need to interact with each other and we need to actually care about other people's days. We need to have some positivity. Right. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've walked into our kitchen here and I could tell by somebody's face that it's not a good day. And I will just walk over and give them a hug. You don't have to tell me what's going on in your life. But to have, you know, a connection with another human being, for the most part, will always make it better. That's good. Because every day I look at my phone, I look at what... What's happening out in the world and it's all negative news cells. Yep. So we, we have to be the light. We always have to be the light and we can't sit back and just, well, that's how it is. No, that's not how it has to be. As always, I love talking with you. We talk all the time in the kitchen. It's usually jokes and whatnot, but I love hearing more about your story and who you are. Lori will be at Work Human this year. Ooh, um, I can't wait. In, in Nashville. So if you happen to stop by the work human radio kind of area, it's going to look really neat. It's like a glassed in cube that we're going to be doing interviews in and kind of toying around with the idea of doing some sort of live show. Too. Oh, I love so it. More to come. But if you are there and you happen to see me at work human radio, just, and you want to meet Lori, let me know. And I'll I would love that. Yes, please, please, please. Yes. All the hugs, all the hugs. (laughs) I don't know if you saw me last year. I was standing by one of the mailboxes that we had outside of Work Human Radio and trying to get people not to throw trash in it because they thought it was a trash can. (laughs) Like, no, your half-eaten mac and cheese does not go in the letters back home. So (laughs) 
But thank you, Lori, for joining us. <laughs> thank you so much and, for having um, me. I hope that I will see everybody who is listening to this at Work Human. Go to www.workhuman.com, reserve your spot, and we're going to be announcing some more speakers soon. So we hope to see you there. Thanks. If you want to see business leaders, culture keepers, and industry experts come together to share the latest research and ideas for making work more human, you need to be at Work Human Live in 2020, May 11th through the 14th in San Antonio. Visit workhuman.com to see the full lineup of speakers and reserve your spot in the number one conference of 2020.